37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the long-awaited return of Pixelated Paranormal. We hope you miss us, because we sure missed you. I am Sean, and of course, with me as always is the one-armed man, <laughs> Preston. What's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins, you crocodiles and crocodingos? Uh, I almost forgot how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a minute. Yeah, you take an unintentional month off, and man, it's like riding a bike. The muscle memory's still there. Yeah. So yeah, uh, white elephant in the room here, or is it pink elephant? Uh, I think it's a white elephant. Anyway, the pesky pachyderm in the room here. Um, it's been about a month. Um, just, yeah, right at a month, actually. Today is the 28th. Last episode should have hit around the 27th of July. So uh, yeah, what's been going on with us... Well, uh, big update on this episode as well. We are in the middle of resetting our podcast feed to a brand new feed because we are separating from Pixelated Sausage uh, mutually, happily, everything's great, no problems there. You know, mommy and daddy aren't getting a divorce, but Mark is going to be shifting the way he does some things for his shows, concentrating a lot more on his different feeds that he has. And so we are going to be breaking off of his website, getting our own website. It's actually almost done. Um, dare I say, if you were to Google it, you might find the prototype that's up and running. But yeah, we're going to be taking over our own hosting duties and everything else, our own feeds. So that was supposed to be a two-week undertaking, and then we'd be right back. But then we found out that through our various Googling and troubleshooting and tech support, apparently it's not as easy as just taking the old RSS feed off of pixelatedsausage.com and moving it over to pixelatedparanormal.com like we thought it'd be. So uh, we have to choose a nuclear option, which is start a whole new podcast feed through Apple, through Amazon, through Spotify, uh, what that means in the short of everything is that for a little while, you're going to go on there and you're going to look us up and you're going to find two options. Um, again, the new feed won't be live for at least a couple weeks, but essentially you'll currently find everything up to about episode 250 on the Pixelated Paranormal podcast. And then we're going to start a brand new feed called Pixelated Paranormal where we are going to then upload the backlog of all, gosh, what is this? This is episode 249, mm -hmm. if we were to even number it. I might just have Mark upload this one as just special update. Uh, I haven't figured that out yet. But anywho, we've got 254 episodes right now on Apple Podcasts. That should be mirrored on most of the other streaming services as well. Unless well, uh, you're uh, listening on YouTube, then none of this applies to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, just because keep doing I, what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I upload that shit separately. So YouTubers, uh, you're all good. Just like, you know, click and subscribe and share. Because now we're at 198. So we're like two fucking subscribers away from 200 oh, yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. So clickety-clack on there, guys. Yeah. Hey, good save there. Yeah, everything should be un... Uh, interrupted on YouTube. Golly, I forgot about that, buddy. You came through in the clutch. Yeah. But yeah, again, it's going to be a bit of a headache. Unfortunately, we're going to lose all the reviews and all the ratings we have because the new feed, we're going to basically start from scratch. So we'll announce this more later. Um, like I said, it shouldn't go into effect for at least a couple weeks. Mark is going to then leave the old feed up that way, as you listen up through episode 250, you'll have a reminder of, oh, I probably need to switch over. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a pain in the neck for anybody who's just now starting and they're going from uh, episode one going forward. So, I mean, hopefully they'll figure that out. But, yeah, we're going to have to do some uh, growing again. And hopefully our listeners and subscribers will hear the message and be able to then quickly find us and resub. But... It'll be kind of cool, too, man, because we currently don't pay attention to really any analytics besides Spotify's yearly drop because I just simply don't care enough to know. You know, I don't want to jump on there and see that there's 
only 500 and I'm hoping for 5,000. Or if I get on there thinking there's only 50 and there's 5,000, then I'm going to get too confident and get cocky. And that's not what we do this podcast for. So, you know, uh, ignorance has kind of been bliss so far, you know. But in uh, in related news, we do want to say thank you to anybody who's messaged us or reached out and asked if we're okay and what's been going on, especially Cap'n Scott from Canada. Hopefully he didn't just stop listening because I called it Canada. But yeah, Cap'n Scott messaged us here just a couple days ago. He's listening from all the way up in Canada, making sure we're all right, seeing what exactly gives. But yeah, he alluded to the fact that our episodes were coming out kind of willy-nilly. They weren't dropping on Wednesdays like they were supposed to. And you'd go a couple weeks without seeing anything. And the next thing you know, there's a big episode dump. That's another thing we're going to be working on. Um, we're going to be taking control of that. That way they get posted as they're supposed to. And again, that's no fault of Mark's at all. It's just that, you know, they have to focus on their own podcast and their own streams. And if I shoot him an email at the... Uh, you know, 11th hour at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night on Tuesday, I should stop expecting it to be dropped on Wednesday because, uh, yeah, he's got his own life to pay attention to. So, yeah, we're like that, uh, that pesky luggage on the back of the car that wasn't strapped down. Imagine like Mark is like uh, the dad from, uh, uh, Harry and the Hendersons, and he's got the old station wagon from the 80s, and he forgot to tie down that one bag of luggage. Where that bag of luggage is just flip-flopping around on the side of the road, and then uh, we finally just came loose, and so now the car for Mark is sailing a lot smoother down the highway. So we're just in the process of waiting to get picked up and strapped to the old Cadillac. Looky there, man. You got it. You got it. Um, so Harry and the Hendersons was made in 1987. Did you know that there was a Harry and the Hendersons TV show that was a whole standalone project? No. Yeah, neither did I and probably the majority of the people hearing this right now. Yeah, Harry and the Hendersons, the movie, came out in 1987. And then apparently there was a syndicated TV show that lasted for three seasons that started in 1991. And essentially from what I've been reading, it starts off with them pretty much reenacting the movie in the first episode or two, and then it just goes forward with different, you know, random hijinks. Mm. And Bruce Davison actually plays George. He takes over the role of John Lithgow's George. And then, yeah, everybody's been recasted. I don't remember. I think maybe the guy that played Harry um, continued on until I think somebody replaced him in season three. But anyway, yeah, side note that I didn't mean to bring up, but you did. Yeah. That's what yeah, I'm here for. Harry and the Henderson show. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. You pick up the uh, the pieces that I drop along the way, like some kind of goofy little Hansel and Gretel. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, guys, again, more information on that later. But, uh, yeah, if you want to kind of maybe see what we're cooking up, pixelatedparanormal.com. Um, everything's kind of off, up and running, except we don't have episodes of the show on there yet. So if you go on there, you'll see some weirdness on there, maybe some... Um, filler text on the episode link but otherwise uh yeah i got a blog up we've got some contact info we got our bios updated you can reach our instagram and our facebook through that and i think the youtube as well so yeah maybe check that out in the meantime um facebook and instagram will stay the exact same nothing new on there that's not going to be changed at all but yep new feed coming soon but the other part of the reason why it's been taking so long for us to get on this is during our little two-week hiatus, uh, my wife had to get knee surgery. She's doing fine. But also, uh, we got COVID, and so we were out for that for a little while and quarantining and just kind of taking it easy and relaxing during that. So we are both back on our feet, so to speak. But Preston, you had a very interesting um, event take place in your life. You want to tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> Yeah, um, so last uh, last week I had to go out, out of town for work, so I, I was gone like two days, and um, I got back Wednesday night, and so I was off work Thursday, and um, I was having garage new garage doors installed, and I don't know if I ever told the story about how the original garage door got a hole in it, 
So we had uh, two fiberglass garage doors, and uh, I always asked Dad, like, why, you know, we didn't have garage openers, because all my friends in their houses growing up had garage openers. And he was like, oh, well, the way that the garage was built, it was not made for that type of door. So, I mean, if, if you know, God wanted you to have a garage opener, then it would have come out of the factory that way. But that's not how this house was built. So just open the fucking thing, uh, use your hands, and uh, stop bitching. <laughs> and we always had a hole in uh, the uh, right side garage door. And our neighbor had a, a bloodhound that would come over late at night. And, it, you know, would get into the property and everything. And it, it tried to get into the garage, so it created a small hole. Well, Dad went down there to talk to the neighbor, and the neighbor told Dad, um, not so politely, that it, it's a free fucking country. And if his dog, you know, wants to roam the neighborhood, if his dog wants to come onto that property, then, by God, he should have that right as an American dog, because this is a, an American country. And Dad yeah, said, that dog fought for our freedom. Yeah, and Dad said, you know what? You're right. It is a free fucking country. Thank you for pointing that out to me. So he, <laughs> he you know, got back on the three-wheeler and drove back down to our property and was, you know, bitching and moaning the whole entire way. And mm-hmm. later that night, got out the 12-gauge shotgun. And, you know, being like five or six, I was like, what, what, what are you doing, Dad? He said, shut the fuck up. Don't worry about it. Just ain't died. And uh, he unloaded the ammunition and the shotgun shell and filled it back up with rock salt, went out to the garage, shut the garage door, sat in a chair in the dark for hours on end waiting for this dog to show back up because like a creature of habit, dad knew the dog would. And then uh, the dog stuck his nose through the teeny tiny hole and dad pulled the trigger and blasted that fucking mutt because it's a free country. And uh, with, uh, you know, a face full of rock salt to teach it a lesson. And uh, we never had a problem since. Uh, now, there was a giant fucking hole in the garage door, but it solved the yeah. issue of the dog. coming. But now, the dog lived. The dog survived. It was fine. You know, it kind of had a fucked up face for a couple of days. But the moral God. of the story is it is a free fucking country. And so, you know, dad just wanted to reiterate that to the neighbor. And instead of getting the garage door replaced, Dad just kind of, like, put a metal grate, like an air conditioner grate, like, over the hole. <laughs> and that's how it's been for, like, the last, you know, 20, 30 years. So in this process of taking over the property and fixing it up, I contacted a guy and I said, hey, look, I need to get two new garage doors. Um, is there a way to do, you know, openers? And he's like, fuck yeah, dude. I don't openers are easy and so we were getting that process installed and so i was kind of doing honeydew list on thursdays i you know i was kind of like thinking about big john wiener um Mm -hmm. because you know we're updating the property and we're you know we're getting rid of a little bit of history like i was kind of sad to see the holy garage door go away but at the same time we're giving the house a major you know facelift and then um, i'd ordered like a dumpster so i'm doing like honeydew list i'm cleaning up and getting some stuff done and yeah. toward the toward the end of the evening, um, you know, the wife, Jeffrey, she, she got off work and she's excited about the garage doors. And then she had ordered some cafe lights, solar powered cafe lights to put around the backyard to kind of light up the, the duck area at night. And mm-hmm. they've been sitting on the front porch for like six months, seven months, whatever it is. And. I was in a good mood, you know, I was excited, you know, shit's getting done. So I'm like, uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to finish the honeydew list and I'm going to hang up these cafe lights. And right next to the duck coop is this old like maple tree and it's got some gnarly branches coming out of the ground. And, um, about six feet up is kind of where the branches get really thick and kind of go off in other directions. I'm like, this would be perfect. You know, I can, you know, put the solar pad um, on the fence and connect it here. And then I can run it up to this branch, wrap them around, run up to that branch. And I'm like, you know, I don't have to use a super tall ladder. Um, you know, the ground where I had the ladder actually stable, like this is going to go well. And um, got up, you know, hung the lights, got them around like the first trunk, threw them over the other trunk. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to move the ladder, took two steps down the ladder and the ladder leg twisted. 
went one way mm. and I went the other and I landed flat on my back. And then um, I felt like this instant numbing sensation throughout my whole entire arm. And I'm yeah. like, oh, God, oh, geez, I had the wind knocked down on me. And then I looked down at my wrist because I'm like, why is my arm feel so heavy? Like, fuck, did I just like break my arm? And the the joint of your, you know, your wrist joint there where your, your hand connects um, basically looked like a... Uh, like a, a a bent like water pipe it had a nice weird s shape so like it the the top of my hand was going one way and then yeah. the other part of my hand was going out the other direction and then it came back in and then went down and came back out so i had like this weird um you know like wavy line um in my hand and i'm like oh god and then like the pressure got um you know like was getting really intense and then uh, i'm in the backyard uh, my cell phone's like buried in my pocket. So I'm like, I, you know, I'm trying to figure out like, oh shit, what the fuck do I do? So, um, I decided to go ahead and just man up, pick myself up, walk out the, mm-hmm. the backyard, walk all the way around to the front door, knock on the front door. And then mom opens it up. She's looking at me and my wrist is sitting there like dangling all weird. I'm like, look, I just broke my, my wrist. You probably should call a fucking ambulance. And then I'm like, I'm going to sit right out here. And so then I started getting like super lightheaded, super dizzy. And then I'm like just sitting there laying on the front porch. Well, the garage door guy hadn't left yet. He was just getting some codes typed in and everything. And then mm-hmm. Jeffrey came out and then all of a sudden he walks around to the front, gets up to the front porch and is like, oh my God, uh, oh God. <laughs> and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm not looking at it. So I, I don't know. I'll let you be the judge, buddy. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd be dead right now. Like, how, how are you still talking? I'm like, I, I mean, I'm not looking at it, bud. Uh, he's like, oh God. And Jeffrey's like, you know, he turned like five shades of white. Uh, he was, he he was looking bad. And then, you know, the ambulance got there and they're like, look, you know, we don't have to charge you for this call if we don't have to take you. So we can help you to the car. I'm like, great, let's do it. Took two steps, (laughs) took two steps forward. And, uh, I just was like, started like dry heaving and got all lightheaded. And they're like, you're, you're not going to make it. You need to go in the ambulance. And I'm like, Hey, you know, whatever we got to do. And so, uh, they got me in the back of the ambulance, drugged me up. And, um, they, uh, you know, got to the hospital and opened up the door and the guy's like, you know, I feel sorry for your wife. Cause, uh, for you know, the next couple of weeks, she's going to have to wipe you. Cause you're right handed. Right. And I'm like, yeah, really can't use this left hand for shit. And so as soon as Literally. they opened up, <laughs> yeah, as soon as they opened up the ambulance door, she was standing right there and, you know, she had that worried look on her face. I'm like, honey. The ambulance guy said, you're going to have to wipe my ass for the next, you know, six weeks or whatever. And she's like, fuck, I am. And so the ambulance guy <laughs> leaned in and was like, just look, I'm going to give you a pro tip. After you take a shit, just go into the main room, rub your ass against the carpet like a dog. She'll wipe your ass for you at that point. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> and uh, so we were, fantastic. We, were, we were in the hospital the rest of the night. They had to drug me up and get it set and everything. And um, yeah. then uh, Tuesday morning, I went in for surgery, and uh, they kept me open, put, me, put a metal plate, and uh, put me all back together. So I've been having to sleep in a rocking chair. And it's the it's the same rocking chair that Dad, through all his surgeries, slept in. So I mean, it's got some good use out of it, but it it doesn't like the legs don't stay up very well. Um, and I'm just like, you know what? This is the perfect time to motivate me to go to the furniture store and order all new furniture for this remodel project. So we went to Bob Mills and we're looking at recliners and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Let's let's get uh, one of those reclining love seats. Let's get you know recliner for mom because mom's been doing a really awesome job of taking care of me because jeffrey doesn't sleep very well at night anyways and she still has to get up and go to work while i'm on short-term disability and so mom's been staying down and, and taking care of me and uh so she really loves that rocking chair so i'm like you know what i'm, I'm gonna make sure we get a new one for mom let's go all bells and whistles and as we're walking around bob mills the first guy was kind of, you know, like, what are you guys looking for? Recliners? Oh, fuck you guys. I'm out of here. Like, that's not going to be a big sell. This one guy was just <laughs> Fuck like, you, Gimpy. Yeah, fuck you, Gimpy. And so the other guy was just kind of like, kept looking at my arm. and was like, well, what are you guys looking for? And I'm like, look, I, you know, maybe two recliners, a love seat, a couch. Like, I don't know. Sky's the limit. I just know that we need new furniture. 
So, you know, you, you give me the deals, you tell me what's going on here. And then we got to talking and, um, when we were filling out, um, some of the paperwork, he's like, do you you want me to type for you? I'm like, dude, that would be awesome. Um, and he's like, well, do you mind asking me what, what happened? I'm like, well, see that, see that, that lady over there. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, well, that's the wife. And I got a little bit too lippy the other day and she fucking pushed me down the stairs and he started rolling laughing and she's like, I can't believe you said that. And he's like, you know what? Abuse is abuse. Like, uh, I believe him. And, she, she, and she's like, he fell off. His dumbass fell off the ladder. And he's like, you know what? If I was the abuser, I would have said the same thing. His dumbass fell oh, off no. the ladder. But he's like, we know the truth, Jeffrey, don't we? And so it was just, kind of, you know, been kind of funny. We've been laughing about it. Um and, uh, you know, you can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, not going to ever be 100%. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's we've been making the most out of it. And then in retrospect, I look back and, uh, you know, thinking about the garage door and dad and everything. You know, dad on this property was up on the roof trying to repair some shingles, fell off the roof and broke his uh, ankle. Um, Dad Mm. uh, was hanging something up, fell off the ladder, uh, broke his wrist. Didn't shatter it, but broke his wrist. And then he was uh, working on the property, uh, fell in like a gopher hole or like rabbit hole and broke his other ankle. And so, you know, you know, I was talking with mom. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm, honestly, I'm just trying to catch up with dad. I, I feel like, uh, you know, dad broke three bones and, uh, you know, I'm 39 years old. And then this is my first broken bone. So I'm like, I still got two more bones to break at least to be on each, you know, equal terms with dad. So I, I'd go for fingers if it was me, buddy. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like you kind of already beat him in one way. That, that wrist is yeah. pretty fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, my dad was a carpenter uh, before he retired, and he worked for, you know, himself as well as other, you know, businesses. And, I mean, it was nothing for him to come home from work and just be limping or holding his ribs or whatever. And to the point where he could fall off a ladder at home doing stuff around the house and tell you exactly what he broke, if he broke it, and how many ribs were broken. (laughs) I remember once we were hanging up a new attic uh, step ladder and he was hanging that up and of course my mom's like careful 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 and then he fell out of that all the way down landed on the wicker clothes hamper and stood up and kind of like ran his fingers you know down each of his ribs and he's like nope we're good we're good nothing's broken and he looked at me and he's like son when you've fallen off enough ladders like I have you know when it's broken and when it's not (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. I also, uh, talking about telling the furniture guy that Jeffrey pushed you down the stairs, I remember um, we were getting ready to go on vacation a couple years ago, and Shayla had just started wearing contacts. And um, she had taken a nap in her contacts, and then she had gone to take her contacts out after uh, she woke up, I believe is how it went. And any who's old, like you and I both know if you sleep in contacts, they get a little dry. So it's best to maybe put some drops in to kind of, you know, work them loose a little bit, lubricate yeah. them. Well, unfortunately, when she went to take the contact lens out, it got stuck, and she had ended up pinching the skin, you know, the outer layer of skin on your eyeball. And because there's no skin pigment in there, it just looked like the Terminator. Like, two-thirds of her eye was just crimson red bloodshot. It looked very pretty because she has very pretty blue eyes, and so it was kind of it's real pretty blue and then red. But it was right before vacation, so I, of course, freaked out because I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to be blind. She just blinded herself. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So we take her to the eye doctor, and our eye doctor's just like, no, you're fine. You basically just made a bruise on the eyeball, but because there's no pigment, it just shows up as just stark crimson red as opposed to being, you know, blue or purple like a bruise. But, of course, the entire vacation, I forget where we went, but was it a run, hun? Okay. We ran. We did a run, but regardless, um, <laughs> everybody that saw her just looked right at me like, uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man. Luckily, her eye healed up, and uh, there was no permanent damage done. But oh boy. Well, you've been through a lot, man, and I really, really hope that it heals up, you know, as best as it can. And could have been a lot worse. 
I think we got a text message from you around like probably, I don't know, midnight or one in the morning <laughs> telling us what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, you know, uh, Corey and, or maybe it was Steve. One of them was like, Jesus fuck. When I sent the photo of my wrist and I'm like, Oh yeah, let me tell you about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. That was rough, man. I, I feel for you. Oh. <laughs> Just absolutely fucked, but kind of like Harry Potter. That's what Shayla said on Harry Potter when he breaks his arm playing um, Quidditch, and then they give him the bone juice, and his arm's just wobbly like a limp noodle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Well, anyway, that's enough about us and what we've been doing, and it wouldn't be an episode of Pixelated Paranormal if we didn't have a story of high strangeness and the bizarre. So, presto, I did the heavy lifting, and have you ever heard of the Cisco Grove Encounter, also known as the Cisco Grove uh, Abduction? I have not. So our story tonight is about a gentleman who, due to the nature of the story, goes by the alias of David Shrum. Now, David was a successful missile defense contractor for the U.S. military, married to his sweetie, and along with his daughter, the three of them lived together in Orangevale, Sacramento, in the big old golden state of California. Now, on the evening of the 4th of September, 1964, the 28-year-old Donald Shrum, along with his two friends Vincent Alvarez and Tim Trueblood, took off for a hunting trip out in the Tahoe National Forest near Cisco Grove, California. All three of the men had considerable experience in bow hunting, and they were all what we'd consider by the standards of 1960 to be real men's men, you know, true outdoorsmen. Well, this particular night, after having established their campsite, they set out to survey the area they were in and where they planned to go hunting for deer the next morning. And perhaps because they were overly comfortable in their outdoor environment, they decided to set out on foot right before nightfall to get a good feel for their surroundings. But they all agreed they would push deep into the woods in pursuit of their potential targets but if they had to, they'd all meet up and spend the night together out in the woods and then rendezvous back at the camp in the morning. So they had a predetermined meetup place if they couldn't make it back to camp before sundown. Well, before long, Donald eventually became separated from the group, as you do in these stories. And as he bobbed and weaved in the various thicket and bramble, he soon began to feel lost in the ever-darkening woods. And also to make things worse, he couldn't help but shake that feeling that he was being followed. Every so often he'd hear the sound of leaves being crushed underfoot, or at least what sounded like feet. And once in a while he'd even hear bushes and trees getting knocked around and limbs crashing. And soon panic set in when Shrum realized <gasps> bears. That's right, there in bear country. So with daylight losing the battle against the night, Shrum would make the decision to find somewhere to set up his bed for the night, but more specifically, somewhere high up, away from his mystery pursuer. See, Shrum had brought along a military-style belt, which allowed him to secure himself in a tree, rather than on the ground, due simply to the number of wild animals that might wish to turn the tables on the old hunter and straight up eat his ass for breakfast. He believed this was definitely the preferable option to camping on ground, alone, ultimately defenseless. Shrum began to get worried at this point because he had been separated from his other two buddies for quite a while. And even though he was a seasoned hunter, he was in an unfamiliar territory and wondered if he'd actually be able to find his hunting party even after the sun fully went down or even when it came back up the next morning. So shortly after securing himself up in a tree for the night, a bizarre light appeared in the distance and started zigzagging around the trees at a low altitude, and he noticed it was slowly heading towards him. And suddenly, a bell went off in his head. 
Oh, thank God. My buddies must have notified the authorities that I'm out here, and they sent out a helicopter to search for me. Thinking that his two friends had arranged a search for him after the evening alone in the wilderness, Shrum then jumped out of the tree and quickly released three of his signal flares to give away the whereabouts out by the big tree that he had just climbed down. Then he started waving his arms around and yelling for their attention. He soon began to realize what was heading his way, though, wasn't a rescue helicopter at all. It was something far more nefarious. After a few moments, the object that was emitting the glowing light finally stopped about a hundred or so feet away from his position, and then he noticed three smaller lights were now surrounding the main ball. The strange spherical craft itself was unlike anything he'd ever seen before. So he quickly noped his way back up in the tree and settled on the branch that he was hiding on, making sure his bow was loaded with an arrow at the ready in case he had to defend himself against whatever was coming toward him. Fear was now rising at a seemingly unstoppable rate. But that level of fear would soon raise even higher when he would look down and see another set of three smaller lights emerging from the glowing craft and begin to stir around the mystery vehicle. Soon after, he then saw two humanoid creatures emerging from the tree line that began making their way straight towards the base of the tree that he had climbed up inside of. As the beings came a little closer, he could see that while the two of them were most definitely humanoid, something was off about both of them. They wore shiny silver jumpsuits that seemed more rigid than soft, that seemed to bunch up around the creases of their elbows, similar to a radiation hazmat suit. Their heads seemed to be covered in some sort of hood, but he could still make out their faces, especially their eyes. Their eyes seemed to be larger than a human's and also bulged out of their sockets, almost comically, like an owl's eyes. They also had long, skinny fingers that were at least twice the length of any human's fingers and were black in color. He could also hear that they seemed to be communicating between one another via low chirps and screeches, similar to birds. Suddenly, to his horror, the two bug-eyed beings looked up and took notice of Shrum, sitting high up in his tree, and the two humanoids began to shake the base of the tree in an obvious effort to either force him to come down or simply fall from the branch. Shrum, however, clung to the limb that he was in, holding on for dear life, suddenly realizing that he'd also made one simple mistake. After he jumped down and lit the signal flare that he dropped to signal the supposed helicopter, once he climbed back up in the tree, he never refastened his strap harness, so now he was no longer secured to the tree branch. Suddenly, as he was clinging on with all his strength, the third light that appeared from the larger ball began to drift toward the other two beings at the base of the tree. After a terrifying eternity, a robot-like being walked out of the tree line, then joining the other two hooded creatures at the base of the tree. He said that this thing looked like a classic robot from the comic books, a big, bulky, square-like body, a cylindrical head, and a square-shaped mouth with two glowing red eyes. The two alien beings both began to chirp and hoot at the robot, which then walked directly underneath Shrum, opening its square mouth and releasing a white vapor that began to rise up surrounding Shrum. The strange vapor caused his thoughts to become fuzzy, and the world around him began to turn dark. Moments later, he finally came to, laying flat on his back under the tree. Whatever the robot spewed out of its square mouth had knocked him unconscious, and he had fallen out from his hiding spot. But aside from an intense feeling of nausea, he was otherwise unharmed. He quickly stood up and shot an arrow at the robot, hitting it directly in the chest, which caused it to stumble back a few steps as sparks shot out of its torso. Shrum quickly climbed back up in the tree, securing his position to forge a standoff against the beings. 
Only being dazed momentarily, however, the robot then bounded back toward the other two beings, and again it bellowed out more of the mystery white vapor. Shrum closed his eyes and held his breath, fighting back the nausea and the feeling of losing consciousness. And once he noticed the vapor had cleared away, he shot two more arrows at the robot, which this time did absolutely nothing to the monster. So at this point, he began lighting matches that he used for his flares, dropping them down towards the menacing trio in an effort to force them away. And although they would back away for a short while, being startled by the little flames that hit the ground, they soon continued their assault, banging and shaking on the tree while the robot belched out more knockout gas in anger. Just like before, the robot's gaseous assault knocked Shrum out for just a short period of time, and when he regained his wits, he now saw that the two hooded creatures below were now attempting to climb up the tree. So, with his last handful of matches, he began to light anything he could on fire, including pieces of clothing and even his baseball cap. When he could no longer use clothing, he would then send down branches, pine needles, anything he could get his hands on, including a handful of pocket change that he pelted the robot with. While this nocturnal standoff played out, the strange aerial vehicle suddenly shot upwards and out of sight. The strange creatures below Shrum, however, continued undeterred by the event. And the strange onslaught kept on for hours, until finally Shrum noticed two things. Number one, the sun was now beginning to come up on the horizon, but also the trees off in the distance toward the area that the glowing craft had shot up from were now swaying back and forth, and he could hear the sounds of limbs cracking as they echoed through the woods. And in a split second, a second robot joined the three figures below him, and the two hooded figures let out a low set of hoots at the two robotic companions. Now what happened next baffled Shrum, and it would be ultimately the last thing that he would see. The two robots turned to face each other, and an arc of blue lightning began to form between the two of them. And then, the next thing Shrum remembered is a thick black cloud of smoke heading up in his direction from the lightning arcs. And suddenly in the seconds that followed, he blacked out once again. When he awoke this final time, he was now dangling from the tree branch by the belt that he used to secure himself into the tree. But he was alone at last. There was no sign of the ship having returned, but all the creatures, including the robots, were gone. He was barely hanging on from the tree by his military-style belt. He could also see now that Dawn was quickly heading his way. By the time daylight was stronger, he dropped himself from the tree dazed, tired, but largely unhurt. He would set out for the pre-arranged meeting place of the campsite from the previous afternoon, and once there, he would discover both his friends waiting just as they planned. Furthermore, one of the two fellow hunters, Vincent Alvarez, had at least in part corroborated with the incident. From his position the previous night, he witnessed the strange glowing craft moving throughout the trees. He then saw it take off with a great pace up into the sky. This would likely have been while Shrum was thus battling with the creatures from up in the tree. Incidentally, all three of the men would return to the destination later that day after Shrum shared his story. They did find several of the arrows he had fired, as well as several pieces of charred clothing. However, oddly, the coins he'd thrown down at the creatures had seemingly been scooped up by the menacing visitors before they had disappeared. His two friends would believe his claims, though, in part due to Alvarez's own sighting of the glowing craft leaving the scene. Later that day, when he returned back to his house, his mother-in-law, upon hearing the encounter, told an astronomer friend from the local college, and from there things began to turn a little gritty. The astronomer would immediately contact McClellan Air Force Base. He would inform them of the strange account and the location of the witnesses. Even more bizarre, though, 
instead of visiting him at his home to listen to his versions of the events, military men would then arrange a meeting between Shrum at an empty house on an off-base housing development. Shrum would agree to the meeting, where the two officers would listen to his account and then confiscate several of the arrows. Later claims suggested that possibly the arrowheads had shavings of the mystery robots. Then, though they would insist that what he had just described to them wouldn't have happened, they would present several alternative scenarios as giving him an opportunity to pick one for himself. Now, what's bizarre here is first they said they couldn't have been aliens, but simply college kids playing a prank on the hunters. And after Shrum disregarded that as saying, no, I know what I saw, <laughs> these military men had the goal to say, well, they could have also been some local Japanese people out traipsing through the woods. He would eventually agree that he wasn't certain of what he had seen, if for no other reason than to keep his employers from facing similar questions. See, the problem was, being the missile contract employee for the U.S. government, he was scared to talk too openly about what he had seen in fear of losing his job or worse. Through the years, Shrum has stuck to the same story and version of the events for over half a century. Surely any hoaxer at this point would have finally given up the goose, but no, he's kept everything completely authentic, never changing his story once, and to further prove that he's serious about what he saw, Shrum himself has never written a book accounting for what happened that night. There are a few books and an actual documentary written about this, but they were never um, funded by Shrum himself, nor did he ever pay anybody to write the books for him. And that is the story of the bizarre Cisco Grove encounter. That's the shit I'm talking about, Donnie. <laughs> right. And then you hit me out of left field with it. Well, it could have been some Japanese people out in the woods. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, whenever it's aliens, it's a swamp gas from Uranus or just Japanese people. <laughs> or Yeah, you know, classic Japanese people. You got to think it's back in the 60s, so we're dealing with a lot of the, you know, bigotry and bias towards anybody who's not American. And I mean... Japanese must have just been the easiest people to blame it on, you know? Yeah, that story's a wild one. Um, I thought about getting the book, but really, I think this kind of summarizes the events. I can't imagine how much longer that book could have been than what I just read and typed up. Yeah. Unless there's going to be some more in-depth conversations about the military meetings, but I mean, still then, the guy's pretty true to his word and didn't really start talking openly about it until, you know... Not too long ago. I mean, I think we need a deep dive into old Donnie Trump here because this is not the first time <laughs> he's been included in a UFO story. Yeah, but his name was David Shrum. So, because they, they, they got that book about the, the Baron Von Trump that's got like the, the kid that came from the future that looks like his fucking kid. I mean, I, what? I think I've never heard of that. Yeah, look it up, dude. Look it up. Huh. The f is that legit? Like that's a thing? Like people think Yeah, there was a, there was a book published back in like the early 1900s whose main character's name was like Baron von Trump and uh Are you sure it wasn't Valiant Thor? No. And uh okay. Okay. he was like a, a time traveler from like the future and um yeah. And then when like when you look at the the goofy picture drawn in the book of the kid, like it kind of looks like Donald Trump's asshole kid. So, <laughs> and then there's okay, like this whole thing. In... Right, go ahead. And then there's like this whole thing with uh, him uh, and his dad. His like his dad worked with Tesla, and it's like there's all this like government conspiracy bullshit that like after Tesla died, like. Trump Sr. got all the files and, like, the blueprints and the machinery and, like, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, HuffPo did an article about this on August 1st, August 1st 2017. 
The internet tends to trump things up, but even this boggles the mind. A series of books from the late 1800s depicts a character named Baron Trump. Oh, and the boy is also aided in his quest by a man named Don. Reddit users have been discussing the books, along with a number of other Trump-related conspiracy theories. The books are created... The books are credited to Ingersoll Lockwood, a lawyer who also dabbed in fantasy fiction. Lockwood's series of 19th century children's books include Travels and Adventures of Little Baron Trump and His Wonderful Dog, Bulger, Extraordinary Experiences of Little Captain Doppelcock on the Shores of Bubble Land. Um, That sounds like a Chuck Tingle book. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful deeds and doings of little giant Boab and his talking raving Tabib and Baron Trump's marvelous underground journey. Holy shit, man. Yeah. Well, that is a story for another talk show, I guess. Huh. Look at you just, you know, turning in your homework at the last second. Yep. That's what I do. <laughs> Trying to get that extra credit. Well, man, we're at least going to have to do a late-night episode about, um, you know, extraordinary experiences of little Captain Doppelcock on the shores yeah. of Bubble Land. <laughs> man, that just sounds erotic. <laughs> good, good stuff. Well, buddy, it's good to be back. I, I really hope you're on the mend. I hope that you continue to feel better as days go by. Man, me too. I'm telling you. Figure out how to play your, play your Xbox with one hand. Yeah, I, I uh, that's that's been like I thought to myself like fuck man I'm gonna be out of work like three weeks um, I'm just gonna hit this Xbox hard and then I realized <laughs> like uh, I have no feeling in my thumb and pointer finger um, oh, and they're all like gimped up and so uh, I can't move them so it's like I yeah I can't I can't I can't use an Xbox controller so <laughs> well yeah. shit. Hey, at least yeah. you can sit there and watch, you know, your kids play it, I guess. Yeah, like, uh, hey, Blake, uh, why don't you c- come help Dad here? <laughs> I mean, you know what would be fun, all jokes aside? Find a somewhat easy game, and you play the left side of the controller, and Blake plays the right. Yeah. and Or, or Addy, and then you guys just see how far you can get in a game by having them shoot and you steer. <laughs> see, that could be a freaking hoot, man. Yeah. Hell Yeah. Um, we have a cousin, her name's Enola, and I, I believe it was from a birth defect, but she had, um, only one arm and she would play Nintendo like nobody's business, man. She could play some bubble bobble and just make your head spin how good she was, but she used the classic NES controller because we didn't have any of those, you know, specialized controllers you can use now, but she would just use her left hand to, you know, use the D-pad, and then she just had kind of a um, a stump, for lack of a better word, where they had amputated her other arm from the elbow down. And, I mean, she could just rock and roll some Mario, some Bubble Bobble. It was really, really impressive. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I miss the, I miss the simple controller days. Like, I could probably one-hand it if I had, like, a NES controller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you still got some time on your hands. Go buy one of those little NES classics. Oh, yeah. Shoot, see if Steve has something you can borrow. I'm sure he does, man. I've been uh, making mom uh, binge watch uh, YouTube shows with me, like uh, Vice Grip Garage and Ace of Clay. So, <laughs> God, why would you yeah. punish your mom? It's not her fault you fell. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Or uh, there was like some uh, like I don't know Larry something that does like watercolor pa- painting, and she's like, I just don't like the way he paints. I just he's not very <laughs> talented. And I'm like, Jesus, Damn. what do you say about my stuff, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, honey, I mean, it's okay. You could have done yeah. better. Oh no, yours are so special. You do such a great job, honey. Yeah. <laughs> As she loosens the leg on another ladder. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, speaking of Steve, he hopes to be back very soon. Um, Things hopefully will settle down a little bit for him as well, and we'll have him join us once again. That would be splendid. But in the meantime, please check us out on the social medias, the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast on Facebook, 
at PXL Paranormal on the Instagram. You can find us on YouTube. You could be our 200th subscriber. Yeah, we're still sitting at 198. So, yeah, I mean, we're so, so close. Two more. Come on, people. Two more, baby. And in the meantime, we will also have the website. Uh, like I said, it, you know, it might be up and running. You never know. It might be worth looking at. But we'll get that going, um, get the brand new feed set up. And then with that, hopefully, I can um, repair those few feeds that we lost. I know Stitcher fell off and some others. So hopefully, I can get that figured out and get that back up and running. Because I know also um, another listener, a hell, a ton of listeners have been reaching out about Stitcher, but Curtis reached out not too long ago to see if we were still on Stitcher, and I kind of let him know some of the insides of what's going on here. So, yeah, that's the goal. This new feed, as um, it's going to be annoying to just, you know, have to resub to something, and like I said, we're also going to lose those ratings and those reviews, but, you know, hopefully we can get those back, but it'll help us kind of remedy some of these issues that Mark hasn't had the time to dive into for us, and that, you know, we should probably should be dealing with on our own anyway if we are you know the adults that we say we are yeah yeah there you go all right buddy what else you got when as always if you need a beard if you want a beard um you know maybe uh you're looking a little shaggish lately like uh you got a gimp arm and uh, you need to step up your <laughs> a game uh let me tell you what folks big dobs beard bomb is that uh that special something you need uh, you know what? Uh, I, I've been uh, going to doctor's appointments, uh, looking a little scraggish, looking like a hobo, but my beard is at its finest. It is on point, and uh, I had to just give all the credit to old Dobbs there because I've been rocking Bay Rum in this beard for the last couple of weeks. It looks amazing. It smells amazing. It glistens. Uh, oh. So go to Dobbs. Uh, big Bob, Big Dobbs, <laughs> Big Bobs, <laughs> Big Dobbs Beard Bomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. And who knows, after you know a couple weeks of putting that shit on your face, uh, you might be a time traveling Baron Von Trump. Ooh, perchance, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, the double cock bubble land. <laughs> I knew that name would resonate with you. Yeah. Old Doppelcock. All right, <laughs> folks. In the meantime, on behalf of Big Steve, I'd like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us who love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown, tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.